Um, today we're, we've been into the book of Ephesians yet again, so we're in the middle of a series in Ephesians, and I just want to pray before I speak. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is alive to our hearts. I pray that you will take your Holy Spirit and that you will make that word even more alive, even more relevant, even more penetrative, even more transforming and healing and encouraging. Would you give us ears to hear tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're studying this book of Ephesians, which is like a gold mine. You know, I, I likened it this morning to opal mining, where you're in a, in a dark little cave somewhere and you've got a torch and you're, you're just trying to find an opal and you break one uh, piece of uh, ground up your soil off and there is an opal and then you hit it again and there's another one and another one and another one and all of a sudden your hands are filled with opals well I saw it happen once on a documentary and the book of Ephesians seems to me a bit like that you know you just you just start to open it up and then you 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 go oh my goodness and then oh and it just keeps unveiling more and more depths and riches uh, Paul was having a very, very good day all week. I don't know how long it took him to write it, but he was doing really well when he wrote this book, Under the Power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so I want to give you some background to the book because I find that to understand the text of Scripture, sometimes it's really important to understand the culture and the historical context and then maybe even connect that to our, our cultural context as well. So we know that... Uh, Paul was writing this particular letter with an amanuensis, so he had a guy who was helping him uh, write and put it together, sometime in the early 60s, so it's very early on, uh, less than 30 years after Jesus had risen from the dead. He was about my age when he wrote the book of Ephesians, so I will rejoice and say he was just such a young bloke, you know. <laughs> Tim G reckons that I'm in my 90s, but uh, it's all a lie, I tell you, so... So he was just a young man in his 60s writing this book of Ephesians. Ephesus was an incredibly complex and busy city. It was a city of about uh, uh, 250,000 people. It was a, a city of commerce, great commerce, great activity. And uh, it was a bustling city. It had a massive library, about 12,000 scrolls. So it was renowned around the world and the, the ruins of that uh, that library still stand today. It also uh, had an amphitheater, which you see on the screen, which actually sat 25,000 people. It was a substantial piece of work. And it was also renowned for something else. So I don't know whether my clicker's working here. So we might just put that over. But it was also renowned for the goddess, uh, next one, Artemis. So I hope that that click is working, but we'll see how we go. Now, Artemis was one heck of an ugly goddess. And you'll see her here on the screen. Uh, she was a big figure in uh, this city. Uh, she was said to have fallen from heaven to Ephesus. And to understand the book of Ephesians, actually, and to understand Ephesus, you really need to understand a little bit about Artemis. She was worshipped as a fertility goddess if you wanted to survive or thrive, if you wanted to be blessed, if you wanted to have children, if you wanted to be protected and safe, you had to worship Artemis. 
So she was associated with high-level, also magic, occult, witchcraft activities in Ephesus. Uh, so if you are an Ephesian, uh, it would be said that you were one with Artemis. You were dedicated to her, you worshipped her, and you were involved in all the occult witchcraft practices that surrounded her worship. So we can put it this way, if you are an Ephesian, uh, it would be said that your mind and heart was saturated with the goddess Artemis. The massive temple of Artemis uh, that was built in her honour was extremely substantial. It's about the size of a rugby league field, perhaps a little bit bigger. And in this temple, there were hundreds and hundreds of priests whose full-time activity was just to uh, gather people for, for worship and for occult ceremonies. There were also many, many temple prostitutes. It was a place of prostitution. It was also a place of great business. So you would bring offerings into the temple uh, as good luck for your business. They would then take the offerings and turn it into a kind of a bank and they would lend that money out uh, to the people of Ephesus. So it was a place of commerce as well as occult worship and witchcraft and power and all that kind of stuff. And we know that when Paul came on one of his uh, visits to uh, Ephesus, that when he preached, there was a repentance that took place. And they gathered their occult scrolls and charms and witchcraft and all their tokens and all the stuff and all the garbage they had. And they burnt it. And it, was, it says in the book of Acts that it was worth, if you uh, translate it into our dollars, about 10 million bucks. So this is like a substantial occult centre here in Ephesus. Ephesus was also known for its emperor worship at the time of uh, Paul being imprisoned in Rome, where he wrote this letter from. The sociopath Nero uh, was uh, emperor. He was completely mad, of course, as we all know. He oversaw the killing of many Christians and blamed them probably for the fire that uh, destroyed much of Rome at one stage. And he's probably responsible for the execution of Paul himself by beheading and also the crucifixion of Peter. So Paul, when he first comes to Ephesus, you can imagine him coming into this city, arriving in this city, just drenched in occult, satanic power and commerce and all that goes on. Emperor worship, Artemis worship, the little goddess Artemis, the idols were everywhere. The silversmiths were making great money out of her idols. So he comes into this city and he starts to preach like this and he says, you know, there is only one God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's his preaching. He says he was crucified and yet he rose from the dead. He preached that Jesus is alive today and he's actually the Lord and the King over everything. And he so what he's really saying is, he says, turn from your worship of Artemis and your involvement in the occult, repent and follow Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the true and living King over all. And so it was interesting because he, he doesn't come and say, look, yeah, you can have Artemis and you can have Nero, you can emperor worship and just put Jesus in amongst that in your life. Just it's got to kind of fit him in somewhere. No. He said, you have to abandon everything because Jesus is the king over all. And many people heard this good news. There was great repentance in the city. Uh, scholars later estimate that the, the, the church in Ephesus grew to a very large size and uh, was very effective. But these people had to repent. They had to have a deconstruction of their worldview 
of this spiritual view, complete deconstruction, and then a reconstruction of what it means to be a follower of King Jesus. So it was a massive turn that Paul was calling for here in Ephesus and that he calls for today. And that's what repentance is. It's a deconstruction, a change of your mind, and then a reconstruction. And we can ask ourselves the question today, in Australia, how do we compare with Ephesus? It's very interesting, isn't it? Well, in our country, we have mindsets. We have very strong bondages and mindsets of secularism, for example, of moral relativism. There is no absolute truth. We have a belief in Australia that we're the king of our own lives, the ruler of our own destiny. You can't tell me what to believe. I am in charge of my own life. Thank you very much. And so we supremely give in Australia allegiance to ourselves in our belief system, in the way we run our lives, the way we live our lives. It's allegiance to self. And it reminds me very much of the story of uh, Napoleon after the French Revolution and after that battle had been won and he's in Paris and he invites Pope Pius, I think the seventh, to come and crown him as the, the emperor uh, of, of France and the world, the world that he conquered. And so the Pope comes and they're having this ceremony in Notre Dame Cathedral and in the middle of the ceremony, just before he's crowned, he just goes and takes the crown off the Pope, puts it on his own head, crowns himself as emperor and king. And when, I, when I think about that story, I always think about you know, our culture and how quickly we crown ourselves to be king of our own lives. And in this culture as well, there's a lot of There's a lot of demonic pressure. There's a lot of demonic and occult activity all around us in this world. The enemy is clearly at work. So there are lots of comparisons. So let's unpack Ephesians a little bit this morning. If if you've got your, your, your Bible there, if you've got your technology, just open up again. Ephesians chapter 2. Tim asked me to speak on verses 1 to 10. And during the week, I just came to him and I said, oh, Tim, it's just too much, bro, <laughs> just too much. Can I have two weeks? And he says, okay. So I, I squeezed another week out. So we're only going to do the first part tonight and uh, we'll do the next, uh, next part next week. In chapter one, and uh, Tim's been preaching on this, the resurrection and enthronement of Jesus is taught. His life And uh, his ascension as king over all. His authority, his power, his dominion over everything. Chapter 1, 20, 21, 22. And then he goes on to say, and he says, as for you. Now, when we understand the Greek in this, that there there are no chapter divisions in, in the Greek text. There's no verse division. It just flows on as one text. And so in the light of what he's just been saying... He then says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, when you followed the mindsets, the paradigms of this world, Uh, a decision which can be disastrous. And so let's unpack it a little bit. So he says, uh, yeah, is that working for me or is it? It's just you. Okay, you can just go up a little bit there. Okay, thank you. So who we are without Jesus Christ? He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, firstly. So before you come to Christ, he he says it's not just a matter of not knowing the truth or being unaware or just maybe ignorant or naive or whatever. He said, you're actually 
dead in transgressions and sins. Spiritually dead. You might be alive in your physical body, and you might give all the impression of being alive by the way you live, you walk, you get about your life day by day. But he says, actually, you are spiritually, profoundly, absolutely dead in your sin and your transgressions. Now, sin just simply means missing the mark. Uh, it means missing the requirements that God has for our lives. Transgression simply means actually crossing lines that we should never cross. We've screwed up, we've, we've sinned, we've failed, we're all there. And so Paul says, we're, in fact, before we come to Christ, we're all spiritually dead. And mostly, we don't know that. Mostly the people who are out, out in the world do not know that they're actually spiritually, profoundly dead. But we were all that way. But we were not only spiritually dead. If you look on the, the PowerPoint, it says, we also followed, we walked in the ways of this world, the corrupted spirit of this age, one version says. I love Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of this in his paraphrase uh, in the message. He says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then you exhaled disobedience. Eugene, you inhaled unbelief and you exhaled disobedience. So we followed the ways of this world and we don't like to think that we do. You know, we like to think, oh, we're, we actually are you know, more free than that. We make our own decisions. We're, we're not you know, marching to the beat of anyone else's drum. But actually, we are deeply, deeply embedded in culture. And we have assimilated worldviews, mindsets, habits, pathologies, pathways of this world that have become central to the way we live our lives. So there's a temptation in this, isn't there, for everybody just to go with the flow, just to follow the culture. And the Bible says that is a way that you can follow, you can track that way, but it always leads to destruction. And I I was thinking about this during the week, that our society sets us up for failure in being Christ-like. Our society, there's so much that is on TV and in the media and society that sets you up to seduce you away from following Christ. But we will stand firm because we know that there was a stage in our lives where we were dead in transgressions, where we followed the ways of this world. And he says, you also followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So there is an evil power operating through demonic forces. Uh, All the All the horror that's happening in the world is not accidental, it's not contrived. There are evil forces at at work. These forces seek to tempt, deceive, inflict, bind, destroy, to pull people away from the light of God and keep them in darkness. Now, Satan is behind all this, but he's not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. And he works through his demonic forces to blind and oppress people outside and to keep them outside of Christ. And he's good news. And that's what's happening right through the, our world today. I was, we're hearing stories this week of the things that are happening in Mozambique, just the terrible horrors that are happening by some militants in northern Mozambique and some of the stuff they've been doing to children and babies is just beyond comprehension. It's so evil. 
But most of us are not involved in that kind of evil, but we are under the control and the manipulative power of demonic forces if we haven't yet come to Christ. And Paul says we all live this way. Number four there on that list. We all live this way. We gratified the cravings of our flesh, our, own, our desires, and we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's judgment. We were by nature deserving wrath. So in summary, what he's saying is this. We were all going the wrong way under the influence of incredible oppression and mindsets and spiritual forces that blinded us and bound us. That's how we were. But then I want to come to the main part of what I really want to say tonight. And that's on the next slide. Just show the first part first. But God, he says, verse 4, but God. So I was going to call this sermon, uh, you know, the but of God. And uh, I just love that title, actually, the but of God. The biggest but in the New Testament, the biggest but in the world is the but of God that we find in Ephesians chapter 4. I don't mean to be rude, but you'll remember the sermon when you remember the but of God, right? The but. Because he says this, but God, because of his great love, because of his great mercy, because of his great kindness, everything has changed. We were all in trouble, but God has intervened. We were all dead, but God raised us up. We were being held captive, but God set us free. We were under the control of the enemy, but God delivered us. We were under judgment, but God has forgiven us. We had no hope, but God has given us a future in him. We were on a path to destruction, but God has now raised and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. And we were all dead and gone for for everything, but God has moved. So I just love this message because that's how my life was, you know. And I think it's how perhaps many of our lives were. We were gone, you know, for all money, but God. I love the story of uh, a young French writer, or he was young at the time, uh, a young man called Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, living in Russia in the middle of the 19th century. He was uh, raised as a devout Christian, actually, in a very religious family. And uh, he was very gifted as a young man. But he turned away from Christianity, actually. And uh, he, uh, he joined a group eventually after school uh, in Paris. And he, it was a writer's conclave. And they, they, they just got together to write stuff. But they became quite subversive because they were writing against the Tsar and against the corruption of the day. And eventually he was arrested and uh, the emperor, uh, Nikolai, condemned him and his friends to death uh, for treason, subversion. But he said this to them, you know, he said this to his, uh, to his, uh, to his secretary. He said, look, they're condemned to death, but actually I'm going to reprieve them, but don't tell them. So on the day of their execution, they are marched out on the parade ground. There is a, there's a group of soldiers pointing guns at them. They're, they have blindfolds put on them. And then just at that very last moment, a horse comes rushing onto the parade ground saying, stop, stop, stop. And the emperor has uh, commuted their sentence. They, can, uh, uh, they won't be shot today. And so suddenly Dostoevsky uh, is given his life back. He's actually put on a sleigh, taken 2,000 
kilometres uh, to Siberia. It's a tough joint. I've been in Siberia a number of times uh, teaching. And as he was entering this uh, prison, which was known for its, its hard labour, and it's just tough conditions, and it comes right through Dostoevsky's uh, writings later on in his novels that he wrote, you just get a real taste of what that prison was like. But as he's entering the prison, there's a prisoner's... Uh, there's a, sorry, a guard's wife is at the, at the gate and she gives him a New Testament as he's walking in, you know. Okay, takes it. And all he does for the next four years, pretty much, aside from hard labour, whenever he got a chance, he's reading this New Testament, reading, reading, reading. And he mainly read the Gospel of John again and again and again. And he was so consumed with what he found in Christ. He said, you know, he says, my unbelief has been swallowed up and I'm consumed with the radiant personality of Jesus. And he really discovered that while so many things were going bad in his life, but God had saved and redeemed him. And then he wrote very powerfully about his, his belief in Christ comes right through his writings. And many of us have had an experience where we were dead, we were in trouble, we were in prison, but God reached us. So let's have a look at some of these things, some of the things. The firstly, now before you get there, firstly, there's God's great love. God's great love. Just remind you about some of these things. The inexhaustible, uh, affluent love of God for your life. As you sit here tonight, been a, been a stormy week. We're just sitting here. We've got a big week ahead of us, many of us. And here we are worshipping, hearing the word of God and hopefully being soaked in the love of God, the affection of God, which is so important for every one of us if we're to live the Christian life. Yeah, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that, oh, I wish you had the power just to grasp how big it is. It's so enormous, his love. So God sees you and he loves you completely. You know that. And he's the God of endless mercy. He just keeps piling these things on. Oh, the mercy of God, the mercy of God, the empathy, the tenderness, the forgiveness, the compassion is what he's talking about. A stream of mercy. You know, and if you don't know Jesus Christ and you haven't given your, your, your life to him, I just want you to know tonight um, that there's a stream of love and mercy that's just coming to you tonight. You know, it's just coming. It's just flowing to you tonight. And it's calling you. It's wooing you, and you can hear that. You can sense that. It's a spiritual thing that happens in our hearts when the wooing work of God begins to take place. And then he says also there's the kindness of God. I love kindness. How many of you just, just love getting people when they're kind to you? It's, just, it's so nice when people are just kind, you know? Kindness in, in the Greek, and so, you know, we know it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul teaches on. It, simply, it just simply means tender concern, that tender, gentle, affectionate, loving concern. And that's who God is. You know, God has a bad rap in a lot of Christian circles. You know, he has a bad reputation because of stuff that Christians get wrong about who he is. But he's a God of complete love, of overflowing mercy, and he's a God of great tenderness. So because of the but God, because of his love, mercy, and kindness, some very important things have happened. Number one, God has made us alive with Christ. With Christ. Now, if you've got your technology, you can underline the word with because it's going to be repeated again and again, actually, in the book of Ephesians. It's repeated three times in this section. So, with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. 
Paul sees the people who belong to Jesus uniquely, it's right through his writings, as being in him. You are in Christ, in Christo. So that what is true of him is also true of you. He has been raised and so will we be raised. In fact, he has been raised and we are raised already, but there will come another bodily resurrection in the future. He has been installed in glory in the heavenly realms and so have we. You were dead, but you've been made alive with Christ. His resurrection is the proof and hope for every one of us. And just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, you also are raised with him and you have the gift of eternal life. You are dead, but God has made you alive in Christ. And so this is, you know, I think this is kind of good news on a Sunday night. So God has made us alive with Christ. God has saved us by grace. We'll talk about that next week. He saved us by grace. And we've been seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Seated with Christ in heavenly. So raised up, made us alive, raised up, seated with Christ in heavenly realms. So this is pretty incredible because our position on earth is, I mean, we're sitting here tonight. Yeah, we're sitting in Manly Life Church. But actually in Christ, our spiritual position is we are seated with him in another place another realm, another reality. And if you have spiritual eyes to see it, you'll see it. Now, Paul has spoken of the enthronement of Christ in chapter 1. God raised Christ, he enthroned him, and he does the same with us. We can say we are seated with him now. We are physically here, but in fact, we're seated with Christ. And it all speaks of a day when we will be in the direct revealed presence of Christ, seated with him for all of eternity. And so it doesn't matter what you've done, friends. It doesn't matter what your past is, what your shame has been. It's all taken away. And when we come to Christ, we are seated with him for eternity. And whether you're the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus while he's being crucified or whether you're someone in the 21st century who said, yes, when Jesus called you, you will be seated with him in the heavens for eternity, alive, saved, raised from spiritual death. So what do you do with this? You know, what do you do with this, this incredible truth? You know, made us alive with Christ, raised with Christ, seated us with him. What do you do with that tonight? Well... I think that for some of us, we'll just want to sing some songs of praise and worship and say, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you. I praise you. I'm so filled with gratitude. Yeah, praise you. You are worthy, Lord. And so there's a worship and there's a praise that will come from our hearts. But maybe there's also a call that will come upon our hearts to a fresh allegiance to Christ. You know, a fresh allegiance that you'll hear his voice when he beckons you, when he calls you like several did this morning in our service this morning, when he says, come, follow me, you'll hear that voice and you'll say, yes, okay, I'm coming, I will follow. Being a Christian isn't simply praying a prayer, you know, inviting Jesus to come into your heart and life and asking him to forgive you for your sins. That's a great start. It's a helpful way to start. It's much more than that. It's about following Jesus as the King and the Lord of your life. It's about giving him your first and primary allegiance. 
Over and over again, Jesus' quiet voice comes to us and he asks, do you trust me? Then follow me. Then follow me. And then we ask, well, you know, where are you going, Lord? And he says, come, come and see. Come, come and see. And so his call, as Paul says, will lead us to a life worthy of the, that calling to which we've been called. So for some of you tonight might be just be a, a time when you say, yeah, I just, I want to refresh and renew my allegiance to Christ. And for someone here tonight, maybe like there were some this morning who related to this. Uh, so I want to say it again tonight. It's, it's not too late for a fresh start. It may be a little scary, but it's not too late. Today is a day when the slate can just be wiped clean. You know, just wiped clean. It's not too late. You can have a fresh start tonight. Brand new start. You just say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow. I'm, I'm going after you. I don't know what it fully means necessarily, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pursue you. And there'll be people that will help me in that. Yeah. And then I think there'll be some others tonight who might want to just come and have some ministry at the end of the service. There'll be some people who will stay and pray for you. Who, And maybe for you, you're in Christ, but you're like the Ephesians. You're living in a hostile world. You're living in a world where there's incredible spiritual oppression and attacks. And it just sometimes gets to you. You know, it's, it's, the world's pretty tough. And... You know, sometimes we get afflicted, we get oppressed, we get deceived, we get led into stuff that's not healthy, you know, in our lives. And sometimes we've just got to come and say, oh God, I just want to repent of those things. Would you just break this, this oppression off my life? And there's always power to deliver you, always power to set you free, always power to set you on a new track. Amen. So that's why I want to leave it tonight. And uh, I might just ask us if we, we just stand and we'll pray.